You're listening to the Bitcoin and Marcus podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. My name is Ansel Linder. This is Bitcoin and Markets, uh, episode 39, 331, 2017. Let's jump right into a market update. Bitstamp price is sitting at 1079. Has jumped up dramatically after a big bull flag over the last week. Uh, we have broken out of that to the top side, and it looks like 1100 is in our sights in the next day i'm guessing um i've i talked about consolidating between i think i did i say a thousand and eleven hundred or nine hundred and eleven hundred looks like we're doing that i don't know if we will break through uh eleven hundred or if we'll stay above eleven hundred but we probably will get there in the next day or two um Okay, coin is sitting at 69.20 yuan. Local Bitcoin seven day volume hit another record high, just barely squeaked out a record high this time though, at 32 million dollars worth of Bitcoin transacted on local Bitcoins. Network volume, so this is on chain Bitcoin volume in the last 24 hours was 442 million dollars worth of bitcoin that is not an all-time high but it's pretty dang close i'm i can't wait for the day when a billion dollars is transacted on chain in one day in 24 hours that's it's not that far off people we're sitting at 400 million consistently now so it's not that far off that remember the average transaction size is over a thousand dollars so forget these microtransactions, bigger transactions, please. Okay. The difficulty, estimated difficulty for the next jump is about 3% right now. Uh, we just had one yesterday or the day before. I think within the last 24 hours, we had a difficulty jump of 5%. So we are creeping up. To me, the hash rate going up means that it's not being cornered by Bitmain because Bitmain supposedly has run into a little snag with their next generation ASICs and that's good that means that now maybe Bitfury somebody else can come out with some other things and kind of break up this this trust but if price keeps going up we're going to have more people that want to mine that's just how it is and there's going to be more people that want to produce ASICs China produces a lot of ASICs right now but they don't have a corner on all chip manufacturing. So ASICs can be produced outside of China, Malaysia, Korea, Japan, other places. These are uh, competition will increase if the price goes up. That is my firm belief. Segwa is sitting at 29% of signaling. We It is going up. I expect it to continue to creep up maybe 1% a week. I remember back six months ago when I was saying this is going to be really fast. Of course, I saw it as the best solution. Um, and I thought everyone else saw that too. It's kind of hard to know what other people are going to think about this and what attacks are going to happen on Bitcoin. And we've, we've seen that with Bitcoin Unlimited is a strict, strictly a status quo attack. Uh, these miners, they don't want 
bigger blocks. They don't want Bitcoin Unlimited. They just want the status quo. And what's the best way is to show there's a huge, pretend there is a huge rift in Bitcoin. And so nothing will get passed. Uh, anyway. Uh, don't forget, this This blocks signaling segue is 29%. But the user activate soft fork, that is the economic nodes or the total amount of nodes. I think Luke Dash Jr. has some measurement out there of like, 50,000 or 40,000 different nodes on the network, not just what we see from the full nodes that are about uh, 6,000, give or take. 90% of those nodes, that includes SPVs and, you know, other th headless mining and stuff like that, they, they are all pro-Segwit. And 90% of them are pro-Segwit. So that's a huge, huge factor here. And if we're going to be going with the user activate soft fork, be watching out for big people to be like, say, the Bit Bitfinexes. The Bitfury is already signaling that they support it. Uh, user activate soft fork. Uh, who else? Watch out for other exchanges, uh, payment processors like BitPay, to be coming out and supporting this user activated hard fork because it's coming. And it's coming pretty quickly. All right, that's all I have for the market update. I don't really have any admin notes other than, than to say, don't forget to support the show on Patreon. For as little as a dollar a month, you can get access to extra an extra episode for every week. This week has been a little bit slow getting out because I had the new baby, and it's really hard to get all this stuff. Plus, with... With my wife home, she wants me to do all this extra stuff. Like, I can't let a dang plate sit in the sink. I gotta get in there and wash it right away. And, you know, like, she's very, she's mic trying to micromanage my time here while she's home with the baby. And, uh, yeah, that just makes it difficult. Anyways, but the, the episode is out. I think it's a good one. We talk about, uh, Ethereum. The top 10 Ethereum tokens, I go into pretty good detail on those. Talk about all their market caps. Talk about if I think, if I like the project. Actually, I kind of like some of these projects, which is surprising. But I talk about their market cap. I talk about things that I like and dislike about them. Uh, risks and things like that. Talk a little bit about Vinny. User-activated soft fork. Again, I dive into that with... with uh, Segwit, Bitcoin Unlimited, I, I really drill down into some of the things that they've claimed and why exactly they've died here in the last week or two. There's big time problems with it. Just don't be scared of Bitcoin Unlimited, but I, I talk about them here today. I also talk about some new attacks gearing up for Bitcoin. You know, we had the XT, we had the Classic, and then the Bitcoin Unlimited, and now What's next? I'll talk about that. And finally, I wrap it up with Rootstock. They had a big uh, announcement this week, so I, I kind of break down sidechains a little bit. Very simplistic. I mean, I'm a layman on a lot of this stuff, and that's how I break it down for people. All right, let's get on to the main stuff. Let's go. 
Alright, let's start the show off with the top 10 Ethereum tokens by market cap. If you guys want to follow along with these, um, I put them in the show notes at bitcoinandmarkets.com forward slash E039. You can also go to etherscan.io forward slash tokens that will give you a full list of all of these things. So, okay, um, I want to start off by quoting Vitalik Buterin. This is from a tweet uh, of February this year. It was a long kind of, you know, tweet storm. This is number 20. And it is goes like this, quote, projects really should make sure they have good answers for, quote, why use a blockchain, end quote. And I think that's perfect. There's a lot of these things don't have to have a blockchain. They're better centralized. Um, going on to the first project here, this isn't in the top 10, but this is one that was launched recently. And that was ENS. So you have DNS for the domain name system. And they launched, they were trying to launch something called ENS or the Ethereum name system. And, uh, it had a bug, a big bug. So they had to halt the launch and go back to the drawing board with it. But again, this is another big high profile Ethereum project that got fucked up. So. Is this project or is this platform really all that great? I don't know. Let's look at some more here. Um, also, as you're listening to this top 10, you should be asking yourself, why are they building on Ethereum? And I actually say that on a few of these, that uh, they don't belong on Ethereum. Ethereum only adds or it opens up the project to another layer for attacks and bugs. Because Ethereum is not set in stone. It's kind of like if you were in college and you had to do a program um, programming project for one of your classes. And the, the you asked the teacher, you know, what am I supposed to build this in? Is it supposed to be Python or, you know, am I supposed to build it with Node.js or something? And um, they were like, oh, no, you have to build it on Bob's project. And you're like, well, Bob hasn't finished his project yet. Oh, I know. Yeah, you have to build it on Bob, on top of Bob's project over there. He's the best kid in class, so, you know, just build it on top of what he's building. <laughs> There's no way that that is going to end well, right? And, uh, okay, so that's what we're going, that's what we're dealing with here. I'm going to go in reverse order, top 10, starting with number 10, and end, um, you know, they kind of build on each other. So I do mention the market caps, and these market caps were um, accurate. On the 28th of March, when I checked all this stuff, and I did, I went and looked into all these. I, yeah, okay, here we go. Number 10, Chronobank. They are an Uber for temp workers or professionals or people like that that want to move around with their jobs. Uh, I think this is a pretty neat idea. It's a pretty cool idea, uh, but it's, for sure been tried before. I mean, any uh, profession that has transferable skills where you can jump around their mobile skills, you know, you're not tied down to one job. Uh, there is a way to do that today. I know in, in the medical field, there's a way to do that in programming. There's a way to do that. So there's uh, anything that has 
really transferable skills, there's already a system for that. So who's their market here? I mean, they want to make this decentralized, which is going to add inefficiency, in my opinion. Um, okay, so this this project has recently launched, and it is so far away from any part of it working at all, even the concept. Um, it's so far away from working that it's really hard to evaluate. Um, the idea itself, to me, doesn't fit our society quite yet. Um, our society isn't structured in the right way. There's a lot of kind of high-skilled labor that is tied down to one one company. Or tied, you know, you start your career at this company. And maybe you work there for five or ten years, but, you know, when you go to another job, it's it's a big step. It's a big process to go through hiring and, and all that. But, I mean, in certain fields, like programming again or medical those are very transferable as a whole though our society is not structured that way yet maybe in 10 years so the valuation here is six million dollar market cap for chrono bank that is at least sane it's not 60 million but it should be more like six hundred thousand, and just a well-funded uh weekend project that these guys can work on for several years. I think that would be good. All right. Um, next number nine is Zarum or Exarum. It's a gold token and a pyramid scheme of some sort. I don't quite get it. They have a scrolly, scrolly website. It looks kind of cool. Um, they do have some explainer videos, but they are very bad quality. And just spell it out as a pyramid scheme. They don't do it any favors. Um, that's okay if it's a pyramid scheme. I, I really don't have that much against them other than, you know, there's going to be people that lose their money there. And gold doesn't need an Ethereum token. But I'm going to be talking about the gold token stuff more on one of these other projects. So I'll hold off on really going deep into this gold token thing. Um, but for right now, this Exarum, Zarum, I don't know how they're pronouncing it, has an $8 million valuation. And, you know, if that's how much gold they have, that's reasonable. But uh, you should discount that for fees, right? And risk. I mean, there's always counterparty risk when someone else is holding your gold. All right, number eight is Melonport. These guys, they just completed their ICO, and it was pretty successful. They are a decentralized kind of mutual fund or asset baskets. That's kind of how I understand these. Very similar to Economy, which we'll be talking about uh, a little bit later. Except these guys are decentralized. So Melonport is decentralized, where Economy is more centralized. Um, they are years away from being released. Ye freaking years. I'm not kidding you. Look at Augur. It's very well funded and they're still not released. And it's been at least two years for Augur. And some of those guys have been working on the idea of prediction markets for decades. And so this, this melon port is at least probably three or four years from being released it is totally 100 percent 
speculative. And it's a bad speculation. Because in the real world, what, 9 out of 10 businesses fail in tech? Probably 99% of businesses fail. So you have a 1 in 99 chance that this melon port is going to be realistic or realized. It's reliant on smart contracts and the fact that it's more decentralized than economy is actually a bigger risk for investors, even when you're thinking about legal issues. So um, when you're talking about asset baskets and mutual funds and kind of an investing type thing, you're talking about securities law, right? And uh, if you make it decentralized, well, yeah, you can get around that because nobody is there to sue and nobody's there to go to jail. But even taking into account the risk that economy could be sued, this is a bigger risk because of smart contracts. Melonport is. Because smart contracts don't function the way they're supposed to. There's bugs. And if you don't have a centralized party to backstop and fix those bugs, you're in deep shit. So even the functioning of this, with the, it relies on smart contracts, makes it a bigger risk than economy. Okay, and this is has a $18 million value, market cap valuation. So this is a big jump from number nine place, which was the gold thing at $8 million. This is an $18 million market cap, and that is just flat out insane. And this... this in particular, Melonport shows that people in Ethereum, they will just throw their money, their Ether, at anything and see if anything sticks. I mean, Ethereum is 100% spec. <clears throat> Sorry, Ethereum is 100% speculative value. So <laughs> why not trade it in for another 100%? It's very hard to gauge this because you don't have a standard of value because Ethereum is really just play money really that's what it is okay number seven is singular and this is a decentralized tv series or media kind of company i think they're making a movie as well um decentralized i don't know how it can be decentralized you need to have a director and an actor and i mean there's aspects of this that don't quite make sense i think for fundraising right you want to crowdfund and um, I guess an Ethereum token is a way to do that. I mean, people have been doing this to Counterparty or with Counterparty, right? With the Tatiana coin. Um, Counterparty would be more transparent, I think, than Ethereum. However, this is the only project that I think out of these top 10 that actually should be hosted on a third party platform because it's just a token. It's just a fundraising token. It doesn't have any real use other than for fundraising. And I guess voting, you probably vote for like plot lines or whatever. But one good thing is it is in use now. They're filming right now, apparently, and they have successfully raised money. How much money did they raise? $19 million, people. $19 million. Where I can see that this is in use, people are using it, and it's it's... Serving a purpose, I guess you could say right now, um, whether it's the best way to serve that purpose or not, that's for people to decide. But $19 million? 
that's a little ridiculous, don't you think? It should be more like maybe a million. Because it's going to be an independent film. It's probably not going to be that great. Um, it could be, but one to two million dollars maximum for this. I don't see why it should be 19 million dollars other than people don't know where else to put their freaking ether. All right, number six is First Blood. This is an esports gaming ecosystem or platform, I guess. It's a cool idea. It's a very good and growing market of gaming and, and esports. Uh, but why Ethereum? I I don't I don't get it. And when you look at their website, it's Buzzword City. I mean, they even have like voting and a jury on on this platform built in. For what reason? I have no idea. Why do you need? Someone to vote for if you died in a game or if you lost a soccer game. I don't, I don't get it. I really don't understand why you need voting. I think they just needed a reason to use their token other than fundraising. Um, there's so many buzzwords on this website that it makes them less viable to me. Because there's so many outrageous claims. These buzzword, each buzzword is a claim. And there's so many outrageous claims that they can't possibly deliver on this. But again, it is vaporware. They have not built it. Maybe they've built some of it, but they haven't launched. And they may never. Right? Why, or why not go centralized? Why do you need a decentralized gaming thing like this? There's no reason. The only reason is to get around gambling regulations. That's my opinion. Regulatory arbitrage this, but those gambling rigs are going to catch up with you. And if you're trying to be like a dark market for gambling, but you're on Ethereum and Vitalik is there to be arrested, somebody's going to get arrested if it's a big deal. So the, why, why Ethereum? If you really need this decentralized, build your own dang blockchain and platform, right? Or make it centralized and use Bitcoin. What's the problem? Or counterparty token. So what's the valuation here? Is $19 million. And you might be surprised, but that actually sounds kind of accurate to me. If this is, I mean, it's gaming, it's online gaming. That's a huge industry. There's a possibility that if this was a standalone type thing, it could raise that on its own with, with funding, seed funding. VC funding, but on Ethereum, <sighs> Ethereum just adds, adds so many risks and so much unneeded complication to this project that, um, again, off of Ethereum on its own thing, maybe as a standalone centralized company of some sort, 19 million wouldn't be out of the realm of sanity. Uh, but on Ethereum, God, again, you're look, 5 million would be would be enough for these guys. Okay, number five is Plutus. Plutus, I think I'm saying that right. They are a payment app. Straight up, they're a payment app. And why they're on Ethereum, I will never know. They do have a scrolly, scrolly website. And it is probably the easiest of these top ten projects 
to understand for the layman. It's just like a PayPal app, but you charge it up with Bitcoin and you can spend Bitcoin wherever you want. Not Ethereum, but Bitcoin. At least that's what it says on their website. Spend Bitcoin anywhere you want. Um, this is also, even though it's the easiest thing to understand, easiest project to understand for the layman, um, it's a very deep and regulated market. There are gigantic rivals here. Um, they have zero competition against those rivals or zero competitive advantage, sorry, against those rivals. Nothing. They actually have a competitive disadvantage being that it's Bitcoin. Um, Bitcoin is not there to buy coffee, people. No, nobody is here in Bitcoin to buy a freaking coffee. And they aren't in Ethereum to buy coffee either. They're in Ethereum to fucking gamble, to speculate, period. So this, and now as a way to spend your, so you put, charge up your um, virtual credit card on your phone and you can spend it with NFC at NFC things. Well, it's highly centralized because that company needs to have a license. They had to have some way to be managing all this. You need KYC and AML on all your stuff. There's zero competitive advantage at all. If you told me that this was going to be able to be used without KYC and AML, then I would be like, bing, 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 bing. I'm going to use them. I'm actually going to use them. At least try them out. <laughs> but there's no reason to with KYC and AML. So what's their valuation? They have a $25 million valuation. And to me, that's exactly 100% overvalued. <laughs> they, they, should, they should be worth zero. Their token. So what do you use these Plutus tokens for? By the way, that's a horrible name. Oh, a horrible, horrible branding on this. But... What uh what do you use the Plutus token? Well, they, they use them for like, uh, you know, frequent flyer miles or rewards. You get paid these Plutus tokens when you use their their credit card. Well, how are those going to be turned into value? Someone's going to have to accept those somewhere, and probably on the exchange. Well, if everybody's trying to trade in their Plutus for Bitcoin or even Ether when they're earning them by spending their credit card app on their credit card app that Plutus is, the value is going to drop to the floor. Everybody's going to want to sell because people are earning them by spending money, doing something stupid. There, There's zero risk. There's zero reason for this to exist. And it has a $25 million valuation. Okay, number four, Digix Global. And this is that gold token play that I was telling you about or alluding to a little bit earlier. Um, again, the code is not written. This is, the code is not released. This is all kind of vaporware. Okay, this is what I have to say about gold. Gold can't be sent over the internet. Duh. Anyone that claims uh, ADAPT does anything for gold that hasn't been done before 
right? And stopped legally or raided like Eagold or something like that. Any Anybody who claims that this ADAPT is better than that is a big-time scammer. They're lying to you. Gold tokens inherently involve third parties. And that adds counterparty risk. Slapping a blockchain on a gold on gold is counterproductive. It adds complication. It adds risk. What about bugs? You know, what about uh hacks? So, you know, it adds all this risk on top of just a straight up holding your gold somewhere. Okay? Um now if it was a gold non-dap or a gold centralized application kind of like gold money is claiming to be that's a little bit different it's a little bit less bad but a gold dap is retarded <laughs> they're lying to you if they tell you that it adds anything to your gold um any gold token like this including gold money okay any gold token is directly in the line of fire of regulators and central banks. Directly. They can stop you immediately. They go in, they throw the CEO in jail. Done. They turn off your servers. Done. And this gold token, this is uh this one's decentralized, so maybe they're they're trying to claim that. This is not in the line of fire of regulators. But guess what? That gold has to be held somewhere. And the U.S. government doesn't freaking care where you hold your gold. It's going after it. They don't care where you are. They don't care if you're an American citizen. They don't care any of that. They're going to go after you. Even if you lock it down to being, you can't serve Americans, you have no Americans on your staff, everything is outside of America, it doesn't matter. They will find a way to go after you. So what should the valuation of this be? Um, well, it should be based on their gold holdings with a discount. And... That discount would be management fees and et cetera, et cetera. But this is not up and running. So this token should have, and the market cap of this token should be exactly $0. But it has a market cap of $29 million. These numbers are just getting outrageous. $29 million for this gold token that adds risk to your gold. No one wants to accept gold anyway. Remember, I'll go back to that Mark Dice thing on YouTube. And I'll actually, uh, let me cut a clip in here about that Mark Dice thing. I'm Mark Dice, and this is a one-ounce gold coin, a Canadian gold coin, worth about $1,500, where I could go and cash it in at just about any coin shop in America for cash. But I'm going to try to sell it to some random people. See if they want to get a good deal on gold today. Trying to get some extra money to uh, pay my cell phone bill, so I'm selling my one-ounce gold Maple Leaf coin. That's all right. Are you interested? No, not really. It's a $50 Canadian Maple Leaf. No, offering good. it for half price today, $25. No, that's good. I'm good. I, I just, you can go right into the NCS coin shop, and we can verify that it's real. No, I'm good. I appreciate it. Well, I'm just curious, why wouldn't you be interested? In I'm just not interested in it. But specifically, why wouldn't you? I just have no interest. 
Uh, I mean, who needs who needs a bunch of gold coins uh, laying around? Uh, right? <laughs> Hello, having a special today on one ounce gold coins. It's a fifty dollar Canadian Maple Leaf solid one ounce gold coin. Uh, offering it today for half price, twenty five dollars. No thanks. Why, why wouldn't you be interested? I don't need any gold coins. Don't need any for twenty five dollars. Nope. <laughs> I'll, I'll go with you into the coin shop and verify that it's real. That's okay. No, not interested. <laughs> Good try though. Do you have a bunch of them laying around at home? No, none. No. I don't really know what to say. I'm sure you'll find someone out here. Okay, I'll yeah. keep trying. Good luck. Thanks. You guys want to help me out? I'm trying to raise money to pay my phone bill, so I'm selling my one ounce gold coin. It's a Canadian one ounce maple leaf, fifty dollar face value, twenty five dollars. You asked me if I want to buy it. Yeah. I, I do not. You do not. Ten dollars. I think it's worth a dollar. I'm really desperate. Ten dollars. <laughs> no. Why not? I don't have ten dollars. If you yeah. if you had ten dollars, would you? Probably not. No. no. Well, what if I told you? Uh, all right, since I'm I'm not going to sell it to you now, but uh, what, what if I told you that you could have bought this from me for ten dollars? You could have walked into that coin shop and then sold it to them for over fifteen hundred dollars cash. Why? Because that's how much it's. Because that's how much it's worth. How do I know that? You could walk. You, know, you just lost your opportunity, but you can go in there right now and you can ask them how much is a one ounce gold coin worth, and then will you buy one from me for cash right now? And they'll say absolutely. You buy them at coin shops like this. Uh, well, sorry, you lose. You lose. Sorry. Better luck next time. I'm trying to raise money to pay my cell phone bill, so I'm selling my one ounce gold coin today. Would you be interested in buying it? I'll give you money. I love your mic. It's tw just twenty dollars is all I'm asking, and you can have this solid one ounce pure bullion gold coin, and you could go and sell it at you know probably the coin shop over there and maybe make a little bit of profit. Then why are you filming me? Well, we're just trying to do someone a favor. Thought maybe I'd, I'd sell it to you for a better price, and then maybe you'd want to keep it. No, no, I'm good. Okay. Give me one second. Just trying to raise money today. I need some cash, so I thought I'd sell my one-ounce gold coin. Would you be interested? I'm good, man. You just already have too many of them? Gold. You know what, man? i got to go to the office and work. I, I don't have time. You don't have time? 20 bucks? No. $20. I'm trying to raise some cash, so I'm selling my one-ounce gold coin today. See if you'd be interested in it. Not today. Uh, $20? Mm -mm. No. I'll trade it for that, uh, what's that? What is that? Lipstick. I'll trade you this one ounce gold coin for that lipstick right now. Well, because this is more than twenty dollars. So you think that's a bad deal on on your end? Yeah. Trade me that bottle. Give me that. But trade me that bottle of water, and I'll give you this gold coin for thirty nine cents. I'm really thirsty. Ooh, that's a naked juice right there. Okay, give me that naked juice. Give me that naked juice, and I'll give you this coin. Let's trade. I'm good. <laughs> you don't want to do it. Okay. Thanks. I'll give you this one ounce gold coin if you hang up that phone right now. Solid one ounce gold coin if you hang up that phone right now. Appreciate it. Nope, you lose. Didn't want to do it. One quick question for you. I'm trying to raise money selling my one ounce gold coin. The pure solid bullion gold. Would you be interested in that for $20? Sorry, I got to go. <laughs> we can go into this coin shop and we can verify that it's real and, um, and authentic. It's okay, but thank you. $10. I got to go. <laughs> $5. It's okay. I'll give me a piece of gum, and I'll give you this coin. Okay. Why not? Because I don't need it. Who needs a one-ounce gold coin, right? So Mark Dice can't even give away gold on the street. It's not. It's not money anymore, people.
It's, it, it's a store of value, but it's not money. <laughs> okay, um, number three. Economy. And they are a digital currency basket. They, they've named them digital asset arrays. And, you know, they balance these digital assets out. They try to do some fancy mathematics on them. But my first impression of this is, what the hell are they talking about? Digital asset array? It's, it's just a basket of coins. It's a mutual fund for cryptos. And the fact that they're using this wordplay again, like, like, for these for i've mentioned and for other tokens is um that reeks of a scam when you're using this wordplay all these buzzwords and things trying to mask what you really are then you know you're a scammer um and yeah you can the thing about it is like you can you can say, oh yeah, no, I'm an honest person, but I'm trying to get around these regulations. Ansel, don't you see that these are honest people and they're trying to get around these 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 draconian and bad regulations? Yes, of course, I see that. But you're not doing yourself any favors by on you know making a digital asset array. Want to tra- they even want to trademark this this term, digital asset array. Don't be the first people in this economy thing. After several years, if they're doing well and they haven't gone to jail, yeah, it's a more sure bet. But right now, I mean, it's very risky. And of course, it's it's a high risk, high reward situation. So the people willing to take that risk are going to be rewarded. But they also could get wrecked. And that's the bottom line here, is that they're billing this as great. And the valuation says that this is great. That there's very little risk here. But of course we know that's not true. So let's keep going on this economy thing. They do have very good writers um, on their blog, and I read several of their blog posts. I linked to one specifically in the show notes that talks about their regulatory burden because that is the biggest aspect here. They're a centralized uh, digital currency basket, so you can see where all the securities laws, the uh, trading laws, all sorts of things get in involved here. Um, they are proudly, proudly, KYC and AML compliant. Uh, so that first off tells me I don't want to be involved with these people because they're going to talk about me. I'm not able to regulatory arbitrage with this type of thing. I'm not going to be able to escape taxes. And taxes take up 30% of your income. So evade, avoid, whatever. Avoid is the one that's okay. Evade is the bad one. Um, another problem this has is the front-running problem. So when they, because they go in and they buy major portions of these altcoins, um, nine, ten, eleven percent of some of these altcoins, they just buy them up. Um, so that adds pump to these altcoins. It gives that speculative value that's in Ethereum that's been put into this economy 
It gives it another outlet to even pump up the economy, even the ecosystem even more, the valuations even more. Um, but there's this front-running problem. So once they go in, they, they're like, okay, we've decided to buy 10% of this coin. Um, they can't really announce that, right? And how do you... Uh, how do you get yourself the best possible price of these very, very shallow markets and without tipping people off? So they, they, they are in a front-running problem, or they have a front-running problem. And they talk about that in their blog post. You guys can read that. Um, so their valuation should be based on their underlying assets, uh, and which I think they, their underlying assets actually add risk. So, um, you know, cause if one of these tokens gets, uh, hacked or there's some problem with one of these tokens, it's going to cause a major problem in that basket. And then that basket will get sold off and then it'll hurt economy in general and it'll continue on and it'll hurt other, uh, cryptos that are in that basket. It'll hurt their valuations and it's just a downward cycle. So right now they're, they're profiting off the up cycle. Everything is prop, everything is benefiting from their involvement, but being in an underlying basket of goods, then the, there's contagion there between them. So if one crashes, uh, most likely a lot of them are going to be tied together through this. I mean, again, they own 10% of some of these coins, so it's, it's a big deal. So what is their valuation? $39 million. That is so outside of the realm of reason that I have trouble even absorbing what that means. $39 million. It's way, way, way too high. Um, the baskets should be discounted um, at least 20%, I think, over B marked to market. So if you take the individual valuation of each crypto in that basket, putting them together in a basket, you should end up with a discounted price because there's more risk there. So why not just go out and buy these things individually? I, whatever. Um, it is an interesting idea, and I did have a similar idea to this a few years back, um, except mine was around just paper wallets and and getting baskets of things together in paper wallets. And I would sell this basket of paper wallets to people, you know, as an investment thing, um, to other people at the meetup or, or whatever. I had this idea. I never did it, but, um, it's similar. Um, and the last point about this economy, which is probably my, the worst project that I think see on here is, um, uh, regulators control your coins here. You don't control your coin. You hold your coin at the leisure of government, at the state, the regulators. If they want to stop you, they can stop you. Everything's KYC'd, AML'd. Uh, it's a centralized party economy that's running this. I mean, your tokens, your coins are held at the leisure of the state. Just so you know. All right, next, next one, number two. We got two more here. Gollum is number two and they are decentralized computing so similar to kind of what store j or made safe is to storage you know where you rent out your hard drive space um, this is decentralized computing and so you rent out your cpu 
on here. Or maybe your graphics card. I don't know what. But my my biggest unanswered question, after looking into these guys, reading them as much as I could find, watching videos that they put out, my biggest unanswered question is security. Straight up security. Um, in this day and age, are you going to open up your computer for others to use? Uh, your competitors? Or possible hackers? Yeah, the hacker's going to pay you a couple pennies to use your CPU for a few minutes and plant a bug and steal all of your information. I mean, it, this is incredibly insecure in my opinion. And yeah, maybe they have... They say that they... I haven't seen them even uh, uh, address this, but they probably would say that they have security licked, which of course they don't. Um, this is extremely, extremely alpha. There's very little code. I didn't look at the GitHub, but I'm assuming that there's so many part moving parts of this. I mean, MadeSafe, MadeSafe is just storage, and they were. T that is a ten-year-old project. 10 years. So this golem is at least that far away for these tokens to be worth anything. To have any sort of real uh, value behind them, they are 10 years away. Um, so how much did they raise? Well, each one of these is going to go up and Economy raised $39 million. Gollum is worth 42 million dollars <laughs> it just it's a neat idea but how much could they raise on the open market like uh, from vcs and stuff this sh i tried i tried hard to come up with some rational valuation i really couldn't um other than i just said a, a tenth of that four million dollars because it's an interesting avenue to explore it's an interesting kind of science to do um, I don't think there's anything that's going to come of Gollum. It's probably going to go uh, go away in the next couple years to be replaced in a couple years by something else similar. Um, it is interesting research. Uh, building on top of Ethereum is stupid and uh, whatever. But yeah, it is kind of interesting. Okay, number one. And you guys all know this one. This one is Augur. It's a prediction market. I spent some time on their demo, looked around what they, what you can do. It's all kind of like binary yes and no's. They say that um, later on they're going to have bigger, bigger type questions that you can put on there. So instead of, uh, it, you know, yes or no questions. So say like, is marijuana going to get legalized in the United States in the next two years or something federally? Uh, that would be yes or no. Maybe you'd want to say, what state is next? Is it Texas? Is it uh, Florida? You know, whatever. So you're going to have, they say you can do more questions, but I don't know. Uh, they have done a, a private beta, and they've been digesting some code now for, from or some results from that. Um, and supposedly they're going to be releasing this this year. But it always gets pushed back. It's been getting pushed back for years. I think, didn't Augur start on its own? Then it's like, well, we need Ethereum, even though that's a stupid thing to do is go on Ethereum. They are years in the making. And 
they they have lots of risks involved here uh, the programming language is the big one you know with the smart contracts and stuff um, updating those contracts I mean the the language itself has bugs right because we talked about um, the variables that ethereum doesn't handle variables very well compiled down and, and all that it doesn't handle variables um, and well it handles them but not very well the updating of the contracts here is also a problem so they have all of these interconnected contracts and what if there's a bug in one what if you want to update one later what happens how do you go about doing that well they have one kind of master contract that lists and connects all of the other contracts together and for that i was like that's a honeypot that's a honeypot for hackers this one smart contract you just hack that i mean you're you're betting all of this on what that one contract basically that's what you're doing you're betting all of this money on that one contract that it does not have a bug that it cannot be hacked that it is secure which i guarantee you it's not secure i mean Maybe it's secure at a small valuation because it's not worth people's time and notice. But if you start making this a billion dollar kind of project, uh, people are going to hack that contract. So what? Uh, how do they address this right now? Well, there is an admin address that can be used to update that main smart contract that controls all the other smart contracts so it is very very centralized right now and they say they have plans in the future to get rid of that admin address which I think is going to be very very hard for them to do it's very hard to give up control they're always going to be one more fix away they're always going to be one more upgrade away from getting rid of this admin address um, so I it's a centralized system as far as I'm concerned even though it's on ethereum even though they claim it's a centralized protocol or whatever they're saying um, it's centralized okay so what's their valuation well <laughs> it has reached one this token market cap has reached 100 million dollars and number two was that Gollum at 42 million. So this is double second place. $100 million for what? For what? No one has made a single prediction on here. No one has done anything. There has been a lot of science that's gone into Augur. And maybe you could say the science behind Augur is worth $100 million. Maybe. But the token ain't. The token ain't worth bullshit. It's centralized. And it's still vaporware. We don't know if it's going to work in production. <sighs> so yeah, if you have bought this auger token, consider it a donation. Because they you donated to science, great, good job. But you're probably not going to see that money back. It's it's To me, it's still 100% speculative. This is one of the hardest problems that, that people have tackled here with Ethereum or with anything. Uh, not let alone on Ethereum, but uh, yeah, I think the market cap of these tokens should be about a million dollars at least until Ethereum gets its shit figured out with with Casper and stuff. And I, I go into that a little bit more after this. So um, yeah, hundred million dollars for Augur. That's all I gotta say. So tell me what you guys think. Tell me in the comments what you think. 
Uh, don't forget to like this so other people can find uh, this content. I, I mean, I'm not an expert, but uh, I'm a concerned person that has looked into these things. So, um, you know, I'm here to talk with you to, to try to have a conversation about this stuff so more people get educated, more people can um, get an idea of what's what is the truth and what is not. I mean, I'm not perfect. I'm not going to know everything or have the right uh, evaluation of all this stuff. But it is an evaluation, at least, that you can start on. And maybe you disagree with me on one part, and that leads you down to your own evaluation. You know, you've done your, that leads you down to doing your own research. And that's what we want to get to here. So, okay, that was the top 10 Ethereum tokens. You can see that the market cap drops off, or sorry, the market cap drops off significantly after those top 10. Um, in this group, there is exactly one in production, and that's that singular, the TV series one. Um, the speculative money in Ethereum has to go somewhere. They don't want to sell because that will crash Ethereum's price, right? So you have to double down on the bubble. And this economy and Melonport, which has nothing going yet, uh, economy at least has some things kind of going in beta and alpha and stuff. But, uh, you know, they're perpetuating the bubble even more. So these the, the money has to go somewhere, and it's going into these top ten projects mainly. Um, after looking at this list, and these, these projects more in depth, I think the total market cap of Ethereum should be about a hundred million dollars. And what is it now? Like two or three billion? That's more than in the past. In the past, you know, I've said that <laughs> I remember when I remember specifically when Ethereum was twelve dollars, I was like, I don't know why this is twelve dollars, it should be twelve cents. It's a test net. But I do think that there is enough science happening here. There is enough um, I guess potential that I can see Ethereum being worth a hundred million dollars, and that's actually a lot. <laughs> Think about other kind of uh, projects that people have built, startups that people have built. A hundred million dollar valuation is a lot. It's huge. So that's that's what I think uh, Ethereum as a whole, should be worth. Um, that would symbolize the real potential because that's a sizable amount, but it symbolizes kind of what it is. The, you know, it's a science project. All of these are science projects right now, and there is some value to science. Um, and it's great when you can have speculative value pay for that science, but these valuations are so out in right field or left field whatever um i don't even know it, it's just way way too high um, but speculation is part of the market it can strike anywhere at any time and it can also be gone just as fast as it came so be aware of that don't get stuck in golem tokens and you can't sell them I'm just saying. Now, after Casper, remember, Casper is the proof-of-stake upgrade. It's, it's a whole complete overhaul of Ethereum. And that is supposed to be coming out, I don't know, maybe this year? Maybe in 2017? We don't know yet. But 
after Casper comes out, and that's stable, um, maybe a higher market cap of than $100 million for Ethereum as a whole, uh, maybe that would be supportable by more than just speculation. But most of these dApps are founded, and I've said this before, they're founded on a misunderstanding about blockchain technology and what it's good for. Most of these can be centralized. Most of these could be counterparty or centralized. That's the bottom line. Okay, that's all I have about Ethereum, guys. Tell me what you think. Tell me your ideas about this. If you disagree with me on a certain part, I'll relook at it. Maybe we'll talk about it in the comments. And um, yeah, that's that's what I got for this. I saw this tweet from Vinny Lingham. If you guys listen to my previous podcasts, you know that I have gone back and forth with him. I appeared with him on a episode on YouTube, and he was spreading a bunch of FUD about hard fork, and so uh, I kind of had an issue with him lately. But now he's backtracking. Here's a tweet from him. Quote, It's clear that the Bitcoin industry is vocally rejecting the notion of a contentious hard fork being an option going forward. Thank you. Well, Vinny, you're backtracking, buddy. So now it's not going to be a contentious hard fork. Is that what you're saying? When you're warning everybody to dump their fucking coins? At like 9.50, you were telling people to dump their coins. And now we're at 10.50. I'm not an expert. You're richer than me. But I'm going to tell you. You need to be more responsible with what you say to people. This was a bunch of FUD, and I think you're going to have backlash from this inside of Bitcoin. Your reputation is going to be tarnished. And fuck, my reputation is tarnished probably every episode. But I don't care because I don't have one to protect in the first place. You have one, and you're a good person, and you have done good things in the past. And I don't want to see your reputation tarnished like this. So be careful with what you say about this. these things. It's FUD. All right, that's enough. Next thing I want to talk about is SegWit and the user-activated hard fork. So if you want to follow that, I link in the show notes to their GitHub and the mailing list, um, the Bitcoin mailing list, so you can um, kind of follow the action there, what people are talking about. The The mailing list is going to be more like discussion, and the GitHub is going to be more like what is happening, uh, because the code has been um, uh, called out as not 
production ready, which it isn't. It's for sure not production ready. And I, I've been pushing for this uh, for kind of a late October um, activation, you know, celebrate the white paper on October 31st. That's when this starts and it goes to, I don't know, November 19th or whatever. Um, but now they've pushed it up to 1 August. They pushed up this kind of activation period starting in on one August, and I think that's could be could be too soon. That's very soon, so we'll see. I'm watching this closely because um, it could get irresponsible, and at least I would I could view it as getting irresponsible. But we'll see. This is the most important thing right now. There is a big need for this to be on the minds of the miners. Um, the miners are simply stalling here, people. They don't want Bitcoin Unlimited. They're not using Bitcoin Unlimited. We've established this. They're not even mining with Bitcoin Unlimited. If there was a 2 megabyte block right now, these miners would not fork because they're running core and they're signaling for Bitcoin Unlimited. They're stalling. They don't want SegWit. Why? They don't want Layer 2. They don't want people to be able to use Layer 2 and not pay them. They want a cut of everything. So they are locked into one megabyte because they didn't go with XT or Classic. Um, they were kind of neutral in those things because they didn't need to get involved. But then when there was a real solution that was going to get accepted, the SegWit, then they had to step in with and back Bitcoin Unlimited to stall it. They want to block greater than one megabyte and they want to block SegWit. That sounds weird, but they don't want to scale. They are happy as clams right now. They're getting paid. So there has to be some way to break this this stalling, this filibuster by the miners, um, because they don't want to scale. And actually, this puts Bitcoin Unlimited and SegWit on the same side against the miners. But, I mean, Bitcoin Unlimited looks dumber because they, have, they were fooled. They still think miners are signaling for them. You know, they thought miners were signaling for them. They thought they had support from the miners, but they don't. It's all fake. It's just stalling so the miners can suck up all this money. Suck Bitcoin dry. <laughs> um, to win against the miners, there needs to be obvious value ready to jump in post-Segwit. So this root stock is getting up. Um, you know, maybe get some lightning implementations that are running through third parties because right now even without segwit we can have lightning through third parties um so get the lightning going through third parties show that there's value there show that look the price of bitcoin is now say two or three thousand dollars miners if you would get on board with segwit we could make this worth five thousand ten thousand then they can start coming on board i mean they're gonna have to give up some power and they see that as a threat. So they don't want to do that right now. But we'll see. There's always 
there's always a way to negotiate with this. Um, I'm not saying compromise. I'm saying negotiate. And I do this with my kids all the time. I tell them, negotiate with me. If you want something, negotiate. Because I have my thing. I provide all these things for you. Um, and then you ask me to do even more. I'm not going to do that. You need to negotiate with me. Say, Dad, I'll do this. And then, well, if you do this, okay, great. I'll do that because you have shown me that there's a benefit for me there. Um, and there's room for negotiation here, but there's not room for compromise. Okay. We're not going to say, okay, we'll do SegWit with a two megabyte block. There's there. That's compromise. You, there is no room for compromise. There is room for negotiation. We will do this. Look, we've built this out. This is here. We're going to talk about it. We're going to educate and negotiate with you, but we cannot compromise. I hope that makes sense. I hope I'm not sounding dumb, but that is, that's, that's where I think we got to go with this. Um, but those links are in there in the show notes. If you guys want to look, follow the, the Segwit user activated software stuff, cause that is the way forward. I believe. So the next part here, I'm going to talk about Bitcoin Unlimited is dead. <laughs> um, people are uniting behind the scenes. I put a link in the show notes. Let me click on it and go to it. Oh, the Canadian Bitcoin economic nodes unite against Bitcoin Unlimited. You can read that uh, article. A lot of people, the space is uniting against Bitcoin Unlimited. One of the kind of the this has been building for a while. A lot of us out there have been talking about how there is no alternative when you're thinking about hard fork. So like people are worried about contentious hard fork, but where, what are you going to run? You can't run Bitcoin unlimited. They've been hacked just recently. Now they're closed source. And I brought that up to some of those paid people on Twitter, the paid shields by Roger Ver. And, um, he was like, no, it's, it's, objectively open source look at the license well okay but your development is closed source which is the same which is the same thing uh and it's released to certain people before others um it's just completely 100 percent centralized there's a million bugs in in that code no one is going to run it no one in their right mind is going to run that code the reason why the miners and the hash rate didn't drop when all the nodes dropped because the nodes were really Bitcoin limited nodes, but the, uh, the hash rate is run behind core. I mean, it's core hashing power, but just signaling for Bitcoin unlimited. And this, this whole thing has been building for a while. 
But then this video of Peter Risen, he's the chief scientist, I think, of Bitcoin Unlimited. He did a presentation last year, and this recently resurfaced. Um, he was talking all about this. He had the economics kind of all backwards in here, um, or at least very simplified. And uh, he was saying that his Bitcoin Unlimited idea would work only in a non-zero inflation Bitcoin. So people started saying he wants to raise the 21 million cap. As soon as that was mentioned, Bitcoin Limited was dead because that's never going to fly in Bitcoin. Um, so I linked to that video in the show notes. Take a look at it and tell me what you think. I'll actually let me play a little bit here uh, of that. Good afternoon. My name is Peter Risen, and today I'm going to be speaking about my paper, A Transaction Fee Market Exists Without a Block Size Limit. I have that asterisk there to remind me that there's two provisos to this claim. Number one, we need for Bitcoin's inflation rate to be non-zero. And number two, we need for more than one miner or mining pool to exist. Now underneath my blazer, I'm wearing my Bitcoin miners t-shirt. This helps me to think like a Bitcoin miner. If a miner finds a block, he gets the block reward plus any fees from the transactions included in his block. If we want to look at his expected revenue per block, well, that's what he would earn multiplied by his probability of winning that block, which is just the ratio of his hash rate to the network hash rate. Now, this is almost exact, but we need one more term to account for the fact that the bigger the block is, the more likely it is to be orphaned. My paper shows that we can model this as a decaying exponential in the propagation time. Now there's two things the miner here can control. He can control the fees and he can control the propagation time. He can get more fees by making his block bigger, but he can uh, have a less chance of orphaning by making his block smaller. In other words, the miner must choose to balance between fees and orphaning risk in order to maximize profit. Okay, so anyways, with a bit of algebra and a bit of calculus, it follows from that equation that the cost per byte for the miner to produce block space is proportional to Bitcoin's inflation rate times a term that grows exponentially in the propagation time. This is exciting because we're showing that there's a real cost to produce block space. But it also brings up proviso number one from the beginning. If the inflation rate is zero when the block reward runs out, it's not clear what happens to the production costs. Anyways, anyways, that <laughs> that's his attitude. That his system cannot be secure without uh, a constant inflation rate or even an increasing inflation rate. And then he just brushes it off by saying, "Anyways." At the end of that video, uh, he goes through some objections to his. Uh, to his idea and he doesn't bring up anything about the inflation rate he talks about mining and and different uh, attack vectors that way um, there, there's there's so many different things that can happen when you're talking about a byzantine fault tolerant system that you know the calculus just do, it might work out for a non-adversarial type system but for a Byzantine fault tolerance system, there I mean the economics are completely different. And you cannot have 
a constant inflation rate in Bitcoin, people are just going to cut you off. Um, okay. The, another thing I wanted to bring up, I did link in the show notes was a very eloquent paper written by the Italian Bitcoin community, their economic nodes over there. They got together and they really detailed out why they, not why they will never support Bitcoin Unlimited, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, it details, it goes into very good detail, but it's very well written. So it's a fast and a fun read. I recommend you guys look at that if you haven't seen it yet. All right, let's move on. Speaking of Bitcoin Unlimited, there are some new attacks that are gearing up against Bitcoin. The ones I have found here, obviously we had the classic one. Bitcoin Classic is back. There was a Medium post that was leaked the other day um, about a purposeful split with Classic is going to split off, fork off Bitcoin on purpose, uh, June of this year. And who knows if that's going to be the case. I mean, this was a draft. They don't know. It, it, it seemed like they were caught off guard with this leak. It wasn't on purpose and that they were had a lot of assumptions that probably aren't true, like Bitfinex will sell their token. Maybe that's true. Bitfinex seems to be the new Poloniex, but... Um, I, I, I don't know if that's the case. They are at least somewhat rational, and I don't know if it'd be rational to sell this. Um, okay. The, it, the, the leaked post made a few waves, but nothing really big came of it. There wasn't a ton of talk. There was, you know, a couple Reddit posts or something, but nothing big. Classic is kind of still a laughing stock after they had that huge blow up and uh, all the voting stupid ass shit that they wanted to do with Bitcoin development. Um, they're they're laughing stock. I mean, their code was crap too. Um, but interesting enough, <laughs> their code is a better choice than Bitcoin Unlimited to fork with. So that is saying something at least about Classic. Um, but they are. 100% inferior to core and it's just kind of interesting this is they're gearing up here you know unlimited is dead so now these other attacks are gearing up and their classic is back another one is bitcoin ec which stands for emergent consensus and that is what that is the block size thing that bitcoin unlimited was going with so this is really just a rebranded bitcoin unlimited um, and or retooled and it's instead of starting with core 0.12, which is pre-Segwit, they're going to start with core 0.14, uh, so post-Segwit. Um, this is started by people that truly believe that emergent in emergent consensus, and they don't have a real problem with Segwit itself. Uh, they have a problem with the block size. So therefore, 
I don't think that it will get wide support from the miners because the miners don't want SegWit. They don't want Layer 2. Uh, this this whole Bitcoin Unlimited thing was simply a filibuster against Layer 2. It was not um, uh, really for these larger larger blocks. So um, a lot of individuals could go into Bitcoin EC. Uh, we could see some people supporting it. But the miners probably won't because the miners don't want core 0.14. Okay, so those are the two new attacks that I found gearing up. Tell me, if, you know, if you guys see any, like, see any things like this, send them my way. I'll retweet you. I will, uh, uh, you know, talk about it on the next podcast. This This was great. Okay, last topic for today that I have is Rootstock. You guys probably been following this, but uh, if you're in the space, but if you're kind of new to Bitcoin or um, you want a little bit more explainer of what Rootstock is, then this is for you. Okay, I link in the show notes to several different things here. Um, Our uh, Rootstock, which is RSK, I link to their website. And on their website, you can find their white paper. Um, it's very approachable. I've talked about it before here on the show. and uh, But yeah, it's it's an approachable white paper. It's approachable website. You can learn um, quite a bit from it. So check the show notes for that link. Um, so what is, what is this? Um, Rootstock is a sidechain. And a sidechain is a separate chain that ha- can have different rules, but it's connected to the Bitcoin blockchain. And I'll go through that a little bit more here. Um, this isn't the, f- uh, on, on Rootstock, they are claiming to do s- smart contracts or you can do smart contracts on Rootstock. Very similar to Ethereum. And they're claiming that it's faster and more efficient and cheaper to do it on Rootstock, which kind of makes sense to me, uh, because this sidechain can um, outsource, if you will, its security and things like that, even its decentralization to Bitcoin. And so it makes Rootstock cheaper uh, than, say, Ethereum, which has to do all of that on its own. Uh, but this isn't the first time that we've heard about smart contracts in Bitcoin. Bitcoin actually has some built in. Um, I link to check lock time verify. That is a very simple smart contract where you can lock your coins for a certain amount of time. And it's, but it's not flashy. It's not a flashy smart contract, but it's simple, powerful, and secure. Secure is the main 
word here is that the smart contracts on Ethereum and other things, we don't know if they're secure. We don't know if they're freaking what they're written in is secure. Let alone their blockchain. Because they're just going to hard fork. They're going to have a social hard fork like they did for the DAO. So these smart contracts are not secure. They're full of bugs. Plus, um, human beings can intervene at any time to change the past, change history. It's it's a mutable uh, system. But Bitcoin's simple smart contracts act how they're supposed to act. They're very secure. They're, they're, they're robust. Um, and... You can do a lot of things with them on a layer two type solution. Uh, another way that smart contracts have come into Bitcoin is through Counterparty. Counterparty ported Ethereum uh, smart contracts uh, right onto their token substrate, but uh, that's I don't think that's ever come off testnet. Um, they do have their their Counterparty testnet stuff, and that's being waited to be activated. I don't know if it ever will be activated. It's just like Counterparty was one of, is one of these projects that really hit the ground running um, a couple years ago, and they've they've done some really cool things in that time, but it hasn't quite taken off. I think it might be a little bit early. I every time I make calls, I feel like I'm early on this stuff. I come up with some um, silly idea about a business. And then in two years, I hear about somebody doing it. So a lot of people are very early. I think counterparty suffered from, from that. Uh, I mean, people weren't even ready for Ethereum yet and counterparty was porting it over to Bitcoin. So rootstock seems to be kind of on pace here, um, has a good timing with the market. All right, so Rootstock is a sidechain project uh, using a two-way peg to create a separate but connected chain. This sidechain can have different rules, and uh, Rootstock 1 does have different rules, but sidechains in general can have different rules and uh, different economic incentives uh, than the main Bitcoin network, even though they're, they're connected. So Rootstock says they're going to uh, they've announced that they're going to launch in June, um, and it's a pretty big deal. When talking about side chains, there's one big hurdle right up front, uh, which doesn't have an easy solution, and that's mining. So side chains, this two-way peg idea, kind of uh, was Adam Back's brainchild uh, from I don't know two years ago or so, and it always had this problem of how do we make it secure? It has to have mining on its own and it could be 51% attacked. How, what does that have to do with the, the pegged bitcoins, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So mining and security is the big hurdle, um, that people need to solve right up front. Um, RSK uses merged mining. So as the mining computers are looking for a Bitcoin solution, they are also, uh, you know, looking for this rootstock solution for the for its proof of work. Um, this merge mining does a couple things. It's it supplements Bitcoin's subsidy. So right now it's twelve and a half bitcoins, right per block. Well, in the future it could be twelve and a half for Bitcoin subsidy, and maybe ten for this rootstock subsidy. 
which they pay in fees, okay, on this side chain. Uh, there's, uh, so this, you can see how this adds to um, the mining rewards. It adds uh, incentives straight into the mining, and, and hopefully this is good, good for decentralizing the miners. Uh, if you make the reward higher, then I think it's going to bring in competition. And that's that's what we want. Um, and when you're merge mined, you have the potential to have the security equal to that of Bitcoin. So if every single miner uh, is mining, uh, merge mining with rootstock as well, then the the security would be equal to that of Bitcoin. Uh, currently, though, I think there's about 5%, give or take, of Bitcoin's hashing power that they're expecting to mine uh, RSK right off the bat, or merge mine RSK right off the bat. Um, the biggest worry, that, that shows you the, the biggest worry of these merge mining things is that if you have a low percentage, like 5%, well, then 2.51% of the network can come and 51% attack it the side chain. So you want, it's a very low bar for 51% attack is what I'm saying. And, um, that's a, that's a huge, huge worry. RSK solves this, or they think they solve it by using federate, uh, this kind of federated client idea. So these, these, these clients that are around, they're trusted members of the space, like BitPay is one of them. Um, you know, there's several, that are like that, uh, big companies around the space. I haven't looked at a list in a, about a week or so, but there's, there's all sorts of these big companies and they run checkpoints. And I've said in the past, when you see the word checkpoint, you know, it's centralized, but this is a, they, they don't say this is a decentralized system. They say this is a federated system. So these companies are these checkpoints. And they are supplementing the hash, the merge mining to guard against 51% attacks and other, other things like that. Um, while a federated system isn't decentralized, it is distributed to a degree. And, you know, these, these companies, they have a reputation to uphold and they get paid a little bit for doing this too, by getting some fees. So, um, it's it's a good deal for them. And they, what once rootstock, if they ever do get to 66% of mining that of the merge mining with the Bitcoin network, those, uh, federated clients lose their job because the 51% attack is very, very hard at that point. You know, if you have, once you get over two thirds to 51% attack, you have to have every single miner, um, on the other side. So it gets very uh, hard to do. So the, the federated clients lose their job. Okay. Um, I have talked about RSK on the show before. And if I remember correctly, I was critical of their federated solution. I've been critical of sidechains in the past too, because of their bootstrapping problem. This is the same problem that kind of altcoins struggle with. How do you build a robust, secure network, uh, from scratch? With everybody watching, it's very, very hard. 
And so this rootstock solved this with the federated system. It's not perfect, but I think it's good enough as a layer two. And if rootstock is the only layer two system, I wouldn't like this as much. But I think there's going to be lots of layer two solutions. And there's going to be a, it's going to create a new market for these trusted reputation, uh, reputable third parties that can go in there and provide these, uh, federated, uh, secure nodes. Um, I also like it in the fact that it keeps the base protocol layer of Bitcoin, uh, very simple and very secure. And that's, that's the most important thing out of this. If you're going to pick a solution, I mean, you, you better build on Bitcoin because it's the, it's the best thing out there. Uh, and so, uh, Rootstock is building this on Bitcoin and I think that's, that's smart of them. So l let's see how this develops. Um, I'm not extremely, extremely excited about this, but I am excited. I think it's going to be good. I think it's going to bring a lot of, uh, new attention into Bitcoin and that can never be bad. So yeah, I'm excited for this and hopefully they are very successful. We'll see. That'll do it for this week, guys. Thank you so much for joining me. My name is Ansel Linder. This is Bitcoin and Markets. If you'd like to support me, you can do it on Patreon at uh, patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin and Markets. For a dollar a month, you get uh, extra content. I put out an extra show for every show I put out on SoundCloud. I put out an extra show on Patreon. And um, yeah, if you go to the $5 level, which is the one I recommend, it helps me get to my goal faster. I can provide just that much more content. I'm thinking about buying some new uh, audio equipment, maybe a board, a switching board or whatever here soon. So that will help me get to that goal as well. Okay. Next episode, I'm going to go back to talking about some legacy stuff, uh, the traditional markets. There's tons and tons happening um, geopolitically around the world from Le Pen in France or Griot in Italy to the Brexit Article 50 being activated. But how does Bitcoin fit into all that? You know, how does uh, how do I tie those together and how did I even get here? Because, you know, I came from the gold bug world and I've left some of that stuff behind as I've uh, been researching Bitcoin. But next week, I'm going to fill up, fill it all up with these traditional things, commentary on that perspective, and why Bitcoin is kind of the savior. It's the exit door. Check out my podcast episode that's called Bitcoin, That Exit Door. Be good to each other. See you next time. Peace.